In a recent study of fatal car crashes, for the very first time it was found that more drivers had drugs in their system than alcohol. What's this mean when it comes to laws regarding drunk driving and marijuana legislation? With this story, here again is InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks again, Chris. Our guest now is Jim Hedlund, author of a recent report on drug-impaired driving for the Governor's Highway Safety Association. You are examining drug-impaired driving, especially in light of the rapidly changing drug laws in many states. Tell us what you found. What we found is that drug use is increasing by drivers, which is no great surprise, but it's good to have this documented. The best source for this are the data on fatally injured drivers collected by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Last year, 43% of the drivers that were tested for drugs and had a known test result were positive for some drug. The effects of alcohol are, of course, pretty well known, but what are the effects of marijuana on the behavior and decision-making of drivers? The effects of marijuana are to slow things down. They affect reaction time. It affects tracking ability. It affects motor control a bit. And these are all well known from experimental studies. The difference from alcohol, there are two of them. First is that it's very easy to track alcohol as measured in breath or blood to the impairment caused by that alcohol in one's brain, to the crash risk. With marijuana, you can't do either of those. What you measure in the body does not correlate with the impairment in the brain. And there are really no very good studies tracking how impairment by marijuana in the brain relates to crash risk. And it's also possible that even if evidence of marijuana or other drug use is found in the user's blood, it could be hours or days old and not affecting that person's judgment or behavior at the time of the crash, right? That is correct, and it works both ways. The active component of marijuana is THC, and THC in one's body decays very rapidly after use. So within three-quarters of an hour, it's sunk well below its peak level. But impairment lasts for three or four hours. So for recent use, what you measure in the body may underestimate your impairment. On the other hand, metabolites of marijuana can persist in the body for even weeks after use, by which time the driver has no impairment whatsoever. So measurement in the body doesn't correlate to what's going on in the brain. All of these state laws with fewer restrictions on marijuana have been on the books for a relatively short amount of time. Do you think a decade or so down the road that marijuana and driving will grow to the level of what the drinking and driving problem has been? It's very hard to say. The thing that is very clear at the moment is that use of a couple of types of drugs, marijuana being one and opioids being another, are very quickly increasing. And the opioid increase is seen not in the traffic, but in hospitals and also in drug overdose deaths and all sorts of those things. So use is increasing. The key question is, how does that use affect crash risk? And that is still quite open. The Governor's Highway Safety Association recently released a comprehensive report, I think primarily intended to help lawmakers understand how to craft laws regarding marijuana legalization and driving. Tell us some key points for lawmakers. 
The natural reaction of lawmakers when dealing with drugs is to try to copy what they've done for alcohol. For alcohol, the per se level, that's a measure of how much alcohol is in your body, which correlates with alcohol in your brain, which correlates with a crash risk. It's illegal in every state except Utah to drive with a per se level over 0.08. Utah has just recently reduced that to 0.05. So lawmakers say, hey, can't we do a per se level for marijuana of so many nanograms? And the scientific evidence simply is not there to support such a level. Training and education is critically important. Education for the general public, that drugs can indeed impair your driving, education and training for law enforcement on how to detect drivers impaired by various sorts of drugs, and then how to put this together into a case that will stand up for driving while impaired by drugs. Jim Hedlund, the author of a recent report on drug-impaired driving for the Governor's Highway Safety Association. You can read his report at ghsa.org. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. That's it for this week's edition of InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks of Chicago. Our executive producer is Randy Meyer, and I'm Chris Whitting. We invite you to join us next time for another edition of InfoTrack.